Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to gently remind you that the Crime Cafe has two collective ebooks on sale. You can buy the Crime Cafe box set and anthology from all major online retailers. And you'll find the uh, the buy links for that, as well as the podcast subscription links on my blog, debbiemack.com. All you have to do is click on Crime Cafe. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce my guest, the awesome Peg Brantley. Hey, Peg, it is really good to have you on here today. Thank you for being here. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for asking me. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I still remember how exciting it was when you issued your your very first novel. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> that was so awesome. And um, now, are your novels standalones, or do you have series novels? They started off as standalones, Debbie. They they really did. And then what happened is I had readers wanting to find out more about what happened with the characters, what happened next. So readers were wanting them to be turned into a series. And so now that's what I'm doing. I see. Yeah. Okay. So in the first book, your protagonist, Jamie, uh -huh. was uh, a, a woman who excavated crime scenes, basically, with the help of a dog, as I recall. That's right. Yes. And uh, I was interested in knowing what prompted you to write about that kind of a character in that sort of work. Well, first of all, I'm a huge dog lover. So, so anything that involves dogs is going to naturally attract me. And then I was um, trying to find out, get a motivation for her. Why is she doing this? And, and her dog is oftentimes called a cadaver dog. Technically, they're called human remains detection dogs. Just a lot easier to say cadaver than, than the other really long term. But she, I needed to have a motivation for her to be interested in doing that. So her backstory was that her mother had been kidnapped and buried alive. So then it became very natural for her to want to try to give people closure, try to help find people. She's also got a search and rescue dog as well as her cadaver dog. So she's very involved in that. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yes, yes, actually you did. Okay. And I was going to say, is this uh, something that plays out over the course of your three books in terms well, of the backstory and all of that? Uh, Jamie actually isn't in the in the missings, the second book, very much. It is, um, and th those two books had started off as standalones based in the same community, the same fictional town of Aspen Falls. But there was a little bit of overlap in characters. Jamie's sister is the um, coroner in Aspen Falls, a medical examiner, and so she also shows up in the missings. So those have, I kind of, blended those two stories together. In the third book that we'll, I'll be writing next for that one, Jamie um, does come back with her dogs, the same backstory, of course, and the new dog. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the, well, third, yes. the third book, really, The Sacrifice didn't have anything to do with Jamie at all. It wasn't introducing a brand new set of characters. I see. Um, 
I'm, I'm intrigued to see that you have a copy of Forensics for Dummies in the background oh, on your bookshelf. I, oh, yes, I have. Yes, I do. I have a lot of dummy books. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, I know zero about forensics other than what I read in various publications. Thank goodness for Doug Lyle, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, is that an area that intrigues you? Is that why you chose to write about that? Uh, um, which one? Forensics? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that that's just something. If you write crime fiction and you don't write cozies, you should know about forensics. I've got an FBI thing back here. I've got police procedure back here from Lee Laughlin. You know, that's it's what I write. I ought to know a little bit about it. So those are kind of just my reference books for when I'm creating a story. Mm. And... Uh... How much research do you do before you write each novel? I actually end up doing a lot of research because I want to get some sense um, of, of reality in the book. So I end up doing an awful lot of research for each novel. I, for example, uh, with Red Tide and the, the Cadaver Dog, I have books somewhere about you know patterns and and how to train the dogs and how to and and how those all fit together and how they work so that I can introduce bring some of that knowledge into the story mm -hmm. so a lot of your research was actually oriented toward the dogs yes but you know for that one it was um and then it um i had to do an awful lot of research there is some science in red tide that i wasn't familiar with and so i had to to learn about algae growth and 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 kind of discover different ways of 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 delivering um um biochemical weapons and stuff like that and for that i ended up actually talking to a man who had been involved in um what it's sometimes called black ops in the military and so he we were just sitting at my kitchen table discussing you know how to how to kill a bunch of people and and he helped me come up with with a delivery method that's used in red tide so that was kind of interesting one of those conversations that people wonder about, you know, exactly. hear it. <laughs> yeah. like you're sitting in, in Barnes and Noble or something or, or tattered cover, just having this conversation at the coffee shop or whatever. <laughs> Isn't that the craziest thing? If the, the last, the, the manuscript that's offered to my editor right now, I was sitting in a very, very busy restaurant in the Denver area. I mean, it was noon, it was packed, people running everywhere. And this, and she, the, the gal I was having lunch with is a detective um, who works human trafficking. And she and I are sitting at the table talking about sex trafficking, mm -hmm. and looking at her little iPad at this all these pages and pages of sex trafficking victims or, or women at, at in this really busy restaurant. <laughs> I bet nobody else here is having the same kind of conversation we're having. Yeah, yeah. That is a, you know, a very interesting. I know I have my writers group meetings at uh, Barnes and Noble yeah. and uh, so I know that every now and then sometimes our, our comments and so forth 
get <laughs> telegraphed a little bit too far. And I think people wonder about us from time to time. Well, at, at least it's in Barnes and Noble, and and presumably they're readers, and presumably they've read, you know, <laughs> something that could be kind of exciting for them, though. <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> assuming they don't think we're talking about actually planning something. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, now, your mythical town in, in Colorado, you live in Colorado. So is there an actual town that it's somewhat based on? Kind of, it's a blend. Aspen Falls is located between Aspen and Snowmass, both two very real places. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I've kicked the, the, the ranchers out. They, they'll hate me forever, but, and, and put Aspen Falls in its place. Aspen Falls is a college town. And so it's a little bit like a blend of Aspen and Snowmass and Boulder. Boulder, Colorado is another little college town. And so Aspen Falls has sort of that feel to it. That's awesome. Is it in the mountains the way Sure. Is. Oh yeah, because yeah, Boulder's in, in the right outside the mountains in the foothills. <laughs> you know Colorado, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, my brother lives there actually. Oh, okay. I love Colorado. I think it's a beautiful state. I'm very fortunate to live here. I just, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, Boulder is very cool, and um, I love the tattered cover. Whenever I go to Colorado. <laughs> And visit my brother. I'd like to try to stop by there because it's a great bookstore. It's a it's a jewel in our crown, that is for sure. Tattered Cover is awesome, and you know they've got several locations now, including they're at the airport. Even they're at D, they have a small um, store at DIA. That's awesome. That reminds me of um, in Portland, where my sister lives, Portland, uh -huh. Oregon. Uh -huh. uh, the uh, local favorite is uh, that one, Powell's. Powell's, sure. Everybody's heard of Powell's. Everybody's heard of Powell's, and uh, they have their own location at the airport, also. So <laughs> I'm surrounded by bookish places, you know, in terms of where my relatives live. That's where you might actually end up. That's great. It is nice. Um, what kind of part does location play in your stories? I, I sense that there's a lot of potential for. Um, drama or conflict or definitely weather you know and, and i was going to say weather and the landscape <laughs> weather can that can come into play um just really uh, quickly in colorado the the um both the missings and red tide had a little bit of leather leather weather involved and and it just was kind of fun it it kind of hit home and let you know that this is actually where everything is happening in the sacrifice even though uh, mex is based out of aspen falls a lot of that story took place in um monterey mexico and in new orleans so so there wasn't a, as much of the colorado you know climate mm -hmm. that played a role in the stories in that one yeah even so they're, they're both in interesting locations yeah, they are. I, I like, I think location is important. I think that to me, it's important. I like to get sort of a sense of a place. 
and and when I especially with Red Tide when I brought Denver into the story just a little bit and there were landmarks that readers recognized it, it excites them you know oh I know that place mm -hmm. you know, I put tattered cover into a story people all over I was like oh I've been there <laughs> I know tattered cover right right I love I have the same feelings about stories set around here you know it's nice to recognize locations and yeah. feel that sense of actually being there uh-huh uh let's see do you, would you say your books fall squarely into the thriller genre or cross over into say something like police procedural as well i think the missings would be more of a police procedural um i always called them suspense mm -hmm. until people who were reading them started and, 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 and endorsing them started calling them thrillers. And I asked a guy one time, I said, what is the difference between a suspense and a thriller? And he said, the amount of the advance. <laughs> so so I've always wondered that myself. <laughs> I just, to me, to me, a thriller is much I don't know. To me, a thriller is much bigger. It's much more, you know, the, the stakes are much higher. Um, the, the whole government could collapse or, or, you know, a country could be wiped out. Um, that's a thriller to me. I, I tend to think really in my own mind, I write more suspense. But if, if thriller is going to get people's attention a little bit easier, I can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but police procedural really, really, that was, um, um, the missings was a mm. yeah. Well, it's cool the way you have a little bit of both. I mean, the fact that people uh, think of your books as thrillers, and yet uh, there's that aspect of police procedure in them. Yes. So kind of yes. like they're getting a, a benefit. There you go. The there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. I like the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> I try to think positive. There you go. Um, if any of your books were adapted for the screen, who would you imagine playing the protagonists? Oh, that's a good that's a good question. I actually have talked with Hollywood about um, the missings, Ooh. and um, I haven't heard anything from them. But you know, there you go. Oh, I, I guess I really hadn't thought about anybody. You know, any specific actors playing uh, the role. I think it, if if it comes to the missings or any of the books getting adapted for the screen, I will just be thrilled to um, let whoever does that run with it, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> let them do their thing. They know more than I do about any of that. So I don't really imagine that too much. I understand how you feel because um, I've had the experience of hearing other people read my lines and screenplays, uh -huh. and it's the most exciting thing. They don't always deliver the line exactly the way I imagined it. Right. Sometimes it's like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's I like the thought of it. You know, it's amazing. The first time I heard one of my books, all three books are in audio form. Mm -hmm. and the first time I had somebody um, auditioning. And I think the first one that was made was The Missings. Mm -hmm. And I heard somebody else speaking the words I had written out loud. It was so magic. 
You know, it was absolutely incredible. And and you're right. They don't always have the inflection the way you, you imagined it, you know, when you wrote it. But it was still so amazing to hear a stranger who I've never met speak the words I'd written. Ah! Yes, it is. It's really <sighs> wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. And in terms of your books. Uh-huh. You did say there was something of a story arc to them since they didn't, they started as standalones, but you're leading yeah. up to. To series, yeah. In in my second book, The Missings, there appears a character kind of toward the end of the book. He's a guy in a bar and his only purpose was to give my detective some information. Well, Max, the guy in the bar, threatened to take, I mean, he was like Jack Reacher sitting in the bar. And, my, and, and he just, he threatened to take over and derail the rest of the book as I was writing it. And I told him if he would just shut up and cooperate, I would write a book just for him. And, and so he did. We got through the missings and the sacrifice became Max's book. And, and Max is also in the one that I just turned into my editor. So... So the, the characters sort of take over, and, and even though the books can be read as standalones, there is sort of a history and a connectivity to them there. That's cool. Very yeah. cool. It was really weird. <laughs> well, comparison with Jack Reacher certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sure doesn't. That's how I felt, though. Guy was going to take over everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, gosh, I hopefully this the my my fourth book um, will, when I get that back from the editor won't take too terribly long to clean up before it can be published and, and I'm very excited about this one. I fell in love with um, three girls in this book and the day that I even sent the manuscript off to, to my editor, I cried a little bit because it was sort of like I'm one step closer to saying goodbye, mm. you know, <laughs> to being finished. So I would, I do, I guess I would like to just sort of put in an advance plug for a book that'll be coming out pretty soon that I think is the best one I've written. Um, and it has a, it, there's a really good story to tell there. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what's the name? Well, the ten, what I'm calling it is Trafficked. It's about human trafficking. Uh -huh. uh, there's a whole lot of other books out there called Trafficked. But, but, so I'd like to find something different. I haven't found anything I like better at all. Well, I'll be looking for it. It okay, sounds great. interesting. It's a subject that I find interesting, and uh, I'm, I'll look forward to seeing it. Oh, super, Debbie. I'll make sure and let you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Sure thing. And thanks for being on. And uh, again, uh, to everyone, um, thank you for listening. And remember that you can buy the Crime Cafe eBooks on my website at debbiemack.com, as well as subscribe to the podcast. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.